Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good afternoon and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we are talking about a very important theme in one's life, and that is what it means to be cool. And what we mean by this is not cool in the fashionable sense that comes to mind when we think of the word cool, but in a larger definition of what what defines cool and what it means to be cool. And with me, I'd like to say is a coolness expert, but we'll let you decide when he shares the work that he's been doing. Dr. Ilan Dar Nimrod uh, is studying just this. He integrates biology and the social environment to target diverse research questions from health implications of genes by environment interactions through how our beliefs about causality affect our thoughts and behaviors to individual differences in various tendencies, not least amongst them, coolness. Dr. Dar Nimrod's research appears in leading journals such as Science, Psychological Bulletins, Behavior, and Brain Sciences, and I'm sure I'm completely garbling up those periodicals, and he will straighten me out on this. But most importantly, when he's not typing away on his computer, Dr. Dar Nimrod straps on a backpack and spends lengthy times exploring the world, a man after my own heart. Welcome, Ilan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Oh, well, this is, this is a, a, a great pleasure to talk about what it means to be cool and the studies you've done on defining cool and what the various definitions are. So enlighten us on the coolness factors because we all think that we're cool in one way or another, but perhaps we're not. Well, actually, there are some people that uh, avoid the label, and uh, it's a very good question whether they are more cool because they're avoiding the label. Um, but I think what we started off with, uh, my collaborators and I, was basically just a discussion in which we were trying to figure out whether Steve Buscemi, the very famous actor, uh, is cool or not. And uh, my colleague back at grad school uh, was 
reassuring me that uh, Steve Buscemi must be very cool because of his roles in the movies. Whereas I had some hard time accepting the idea that a person that is such a weasel character uh, in so many depictions of his uh, uh, art and uh, certainly not a very attractive uh, visually uh, would be considered cool. So, being the geeks that we were, we tried to actually find out what research suggests coolness is. And lo and behold, we found that no real research is trying to capture the, the, the actual elements that depict coolness. Uh, there's a lot of sociological perspectives that are not based on any quantification or data collection and uh, uh, historical perspectives, but none that actually tap on what people consider to be cool. So we had to do it ourselves because no one had done it before us rather than because we were uh, uh, really interested in coolness as a construct. Um, that is what cool. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think if you mean geek is cool, then uh, probably it is. Yeah, well, the geekiness of it is very cool. I mean, at least to me, you know. I, I, so I think you're cool. You're, you're rated high on my cool meter. <laughs> well, if I am, then I probably have satisfied all what my mom wished for me when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'll that's very funny. There. But. What we found was actually something that, uh, uh, in retrospect, did not really surprise us. Uh, but uh, we couldn't really pinpoint it before we started collecting the data. So, on our regular lives, we use coolness to depict two kind of elements. Uh, we use cool to just say, this is something I approve of. Uh, this is something I like. Uh, this is uh, uh, cool, I had a great lunch, cool. We don't really mean much when we use it in that form. And we also use cool to depict some uh, more traditionally or historically relevant coolness elements such as um, the characters of James Dean's or uh, uh, Duke Ellington, early jazz days, uh, the birth of cool, the album. There's a lot of elements that possess darkness uh, 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 in them when we depict cool in that sense. So what we did find when we put our participants through the ringer is that both definitions seem to be still alive in the minds of people. But it seems that coolness is first and foremost at this time uh, related to things that I just like and I care about and I'm funny enough passionate about. So passion, which is dictionarily wise, probably the opposite of coolness, um, came across as a cool character to have, cool characteristic to have uh, for many of our participants. So, uh, you know, it's funny when you're talking about people, the, the one character that came to mind or the one person that came to mind before you even said his name was James Dean. And then when you were talking about jazz music, I went to Miles Davis and Kind of Blue. 
And I think that we share a lot of those uh, perceptions, but I think that they are mostly uh, 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 historical and secondary in our use, in our daily usage of the term coolness. Uh, so we do seem to use coolness more nowadays to depict those socially desirable characteristics, uh, being handsome, being friendly, being actually emotionally expressive, which again, it's counter coolness. Yeah. Coolness was all about calm, collected, somewhat detached. Uh, it, it used to be some uh, uh, a much more of a defensive mechanism that would allow people who are on the uh, 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 off the mainstream, who are potentially counter-cultural individuals, to still possess their own self-esteem and to be able to reject critical evaluations of the mainstream of them. Uh, and coolness doesn't seem to be playing that much of that role anymore. Uh, it seems to be much more about just the general socially desirable elements that we can just define as being good and attractive and desirable. Or interesting, like, oh, I heard this cool song the other day, you know, that it, 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 in my mind it elicits... Uh, some raise in temperature. Passion is the word that you used earlier, but it raises the heat, the temperature on the interest level. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, funnily enough, probably counter traditional coolness. Because exactly. cool was the, the, the emotional control element, the rebellious element, rather than the just... Uh, um, positive, all-around, desirable, as you depict here. So we all, we all kind of, not kind of, I'm going to just go, go wide here. We all want to be perceived as cool in some way, the, the, the master of our own universe, you know, that we're proficient, that we're on top of our game. Is that something that you have found in, in your studies as well, how people relate coolness, the cool factor to themselves? Well, again, that's, that's another thing that we found, that people do not necessarily view themselves as extremely cool individuals. Most people, if they rate themselves on how cool they perceive themselves to be, uh, do not use the extreme of uh, the scale, neither of the uncool or the cool. Uh, so... It's really hard to say at this point whether those depictions are actually a, a, a cool or actually true. If, if people do have the ability to assess their coolness in a way that others will assess it as well. But it's certainly not the case that we are thinking of ourselves as exemplars of coolness, or at least most people do. Uh, so... It might be just because people have a hard time uh, understanding what coolness they're being asked about. It might be just because most of us are not exemplars of coolness. We have potentially some characteristics that would be viewed as cool by many, and we have other characteristics that may not be viewed as very cool. Just like the... the the argument that started it all with Steve Buscemi, 
there are certain <laughs> elements, and it's, this argument has not been resolved because we found that certain characteristics that Steve Buscemi seemed to have are considered very cool and others are considered very uncool. So We are going to need to go to a break. So let me, let's just pause right there because we're going to need to have a cool moment of break um, so my producers don't kill us. And when we come <laughs> back, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Ilan Dar Nimrod on coolness. To learn more about his work and his research, you can visit um, sydney.edu.au slash science slash people slash Ilan dar hyphen nimrod dot php and that is a mouthful but it is available on our website at harvesting happiness talk dot com and on facebook that page is ilan dot nimrod here come the tunes we'll be right back we know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity we'll be right back to explain how on harvesting happiness with lisa cypress cayman harvest more happiness by liking us on facebook at harvesting happiness following lisa on twitter at lisa cayman and tweeting us with the hashtag harvesting happiness love to read looking to harvest your happiness then look no further lisa cypress cayman is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level are we happy yet eight keys to unlocking a joyful life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution perspectives on addiction an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we are talking about coolness today with Dr. Ilan Dar Nimrod, who is a researcher on, guess what, coolness. And you might not think that coolness is research worthy, but he is proving us wrong. And it all started with uh, Steve Buscemi, the actor. It did. It certainly did. And I hope that Steve Buscemi would take possession of that important role in science. <laughs> Well, I, I hope he will, too. But, you know, what's interesting is when we talk about coolness, what also comes to mind is social comparison, mass media, the marketing of 
objects that are cool. Like if we carry the correct handbag, we're cool. If we drive the right car, we're cool. If we drink the right cocktail, we're cool. How does that play into your research? Well, Again, in the two different uh, um, factor or facets of coolness that we've identified in our research, we termed one of them cachet cool, which really, really integrates those socially desirable characteristics one look for in people. Uh, so that cachet cool that will, that is seemed to be the main evaluative element in coolness uh, captures within itself things like being attractive, things like being fashionable, things like being trendy, being hip, knowing what to wear, knowing what to say, knowing what to uh, uh, eat or order in a restaurant. So those elements are all being captured by this aspect of coolness. However, uh, they play virtually no role in the evaluation of that traditional cool, of that dark coolness, the coolness that is associated with drugs, with some aggression, that the people that you don't mess with, uh, the coolness that is associated with uh, rebelliousness, with emotional control rather than emotional expressivity. So while trendiness and what to wear seems to be quite important to our nowadays uh, uh, main element of coolness valuation, it does seem to be a relatively newer element in coolness. Uh Uh-huh. And what about the cool mate or partner? that we want to be seen with the cool one. We want to be mated up with the cool one. Where does that, where does that play? Um, again, I think that the, because coolness has those two different facets, uh, each attracts uh, uh, potentially different mates. So having that socially desirable conglomerates of traits is something that every person would love to have as a partner and would love to bring home to introduce to the parents. And that's kind of like the boy next door, the, the, the captain of the, uh, 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 the football team who is also an A student. That's the person that seems to have all those desirable traits put together. And that would be extremely attractive to have as a partner, as a mate. However, what's probably very interesting as well is that we do have an element of attraction also in the dark cool. So maybe you can think about attraction to the bad boy. Maybe you can think about attraction to the people that live uh, uh, their lives to the sound of their own uh, 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 flute or uh, they care less about society uh, evaluations of them, they seem to also uh, uh, be attractive to a pretty significant cohort of individuals. Maybe not everyone, maybe there won't be everyone's cup of tea as a way that the socially desirable or the cachecul individuals are, but they certainly seem to hold their own in attraction. And what label are those? 
Are they the different uh, drummer cool? <laughs> what's, what's the, what's... Uh, so this is, we call them contrarian cool. Ah, uh, that's my category. The, I, that's what I like, contrarian cool. I'm going to remember that. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think as, a, as an adolescent, I was always attracted to that depiction of the contrarian cool, which is probably one of the reasons that I uh, 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 smoked for way too long parts of my life until I dropped that nasty habit. And uh, I had that uh, um, sincere affinity to many things dark. And I know that for me, that was a very strong appeal uh, in at least my formative years. Interesting. Very interesting. So we've got the cachet, the contrarian. What are some other personality types or the archetype of cool? Those were the archetypes of cool. Those were the main two facets of cool. And those uh, 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 facets seem to be... Uh, uh, capturing within themselves a host of characteristics. So the cachet cool would have uh, probably the two main one would be friendliness and attractiveness, where they're followed very closely by things like trendiness and hipness, but also uh, um, abilities, so being smart, being capable, talent, uh, industriousness, as I said, emotional expressiveness, all those traits together give rise to what we term cachet coolness. Uh, on the other hand, we had that facet or that archetype of dark coolness, what we term the contrarian cool, um, that were, uh, uh, in which the main element that we've identified was rebelliousness. That seems to be the main element in that archetype, uh, and it's closely followed by things like um, emotional control or detachment, um, subdued aggressiveness, so more about people that you don't mess with, you do not challenge those individuals, uh, and elements like irony, uh, and elements uh, uh, that are, uh, the, and there was some level of attraction in that, but it's not necessarily the looks as much as I think that personality as a whole. And what about the, the one who is true to his or herself? Where does that fall on the cool meter? Uh, authenticity actually fell uh, um, on both the cachet and the contrarian cool. It didn't differentiate between them. Uh, it was probably slightly more central uh, as a, a, a more individualistic and mysterious elements in the contrarian call than in the cachet call. But it did play a role. It was endorsed for both archetypes, for both facets. Because I would think for the grown-up cool person that that would be the ultimate cool, to be at home in one's skin, to be living in the world and contributing to the world um, you know, with a, a sense of purpose or, or meaning. And th that makes them cool. Whether or not they see themselves to be cool or acknowledge it as being cool, that is just coolness personified. 
And that's probably actually the kashekul. That's probably the again the the more uh, central element of nowadays cool valuations. Uh, but it's probably not the more traditional dark cool of rebelling against something just because it's there. Yeah, that's a lot of work. The rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as an adult, we have a version of that, don't we? Yes, yes, we do. Well, we have a. Well, we, hopefully, we get to the point where we have a, an aversion to the needless suffering and discomfort. You know, we know that it can be hard enough as it is. So why add to it? That is very true, and that's still probably going to fall on that desirable aspect of cool, uh, rather than on the dark side of it. Uh, and I think that that reflects a change in that concept because traditionally cool was not about being desirable traditionally cool was just for the marginalized for the people that had to deal with a lot of scrutiny from the main society and coolness actually helped them in that being detached really helped mm. you deal with society scrutiny being caring too much does not you're just going to have very thin skin and you're going to be hurt a lot. So coolness kind of made its way from the margins into the mainstream in a very, very interesting manner and along the way collected a host of characteristics that were probably not traditionally associated with the term. We are almost out of time, and I want to invite you back here and now to update us on your coolness research because I think we can learn a lot from this work, you know, about uh, the state of our world. And just quickly, where is your work? Where is the research heading, and how are you expanding um, research and social psychology on the topic of coolness? And just a brief answer, and then you have to come back for sure. <laughs> Well, we're actually trying to see if we can capture coolness by self-report measures. And we are trying to see what we can use as criteria of validation. Uh, so what elements out there will help us evaluate whether our self-report measure in which people just tick boxes and rate themselves will allow us to then view those individuals and place them on that coolness scales and potentially two coolness scales as we have two somewhat unrelated aspects and facets for that term. So we're just trying to create tools that then will allow us to evaluate individuals. My cool guest has been Ilan Dar Nimrod. To learn more about his cool research on coolness, please visit sydney.edu.au slash science slash people slash Elon dot dar hyphen nimrod dot php. It's a mouthful and we do have it on the website at harvesting happiness talk radio dot com and on Facebook that page is Elon dot nimrod. Thank you so much. And I my my invitation to return with a coolness update is sincere and we will follow up and have you back again. Well, thank you very much and I really wish you and your listeners happy, happy life. Ah, a happy life is what we wish for all of us, a more gentle life. <laughs> True. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the new cool. In our last segment, we were speaking with Dr. Oh, let me start that over. One, two, three. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about the new cool, what it means to be cool. And in the first half of the show, we were talking about it from a clinical perspective with somebody who's doing research on the coolness of life. And now my next guest is living the coolness of life. Frankie Bones is the ravest American hero, a DJ who has the total exclusive eyewitness report on DJ culture and how it began in Europe and then moved to and throughout the United States long before Das Google Machine brought the world into our bedrooms. Frankie Bones set out to harness the international power of electronic music. So we're talking about a movement that Frankie is really attributed to founding, and that is Plur. Welcome, friend. Uh, Welcome, Frankie. That was a great intro. Wow, you're very professional. I hope I could uh, keep up with you. (laughs) No, no, we're. uh, No, I'm. I'm just. I am professional, but you know, this is all new territory to me, and I'm sort of eating my words. Um, because I noodled around the internet and I stumbled upon Plur when I was writing a piece and that's how I found you. It was one of those little divine interventions because I was like, how am I going to usher in the new year? And there it was. Peace, love, unity, respect. 
Wow, that's awesome. That is really awesome. I mean, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I come from New York City. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, when Brooklyn, New York was pretty, um, you know, it's not the the city after 9-11 is a lot different, but I come from like the 70s and 80s, and uh, there was a lot of territorial things and gangs, and, and it was so diverse and so many different types of people that, um, you know, growing up, I was always into this uh, music and to like disco and soul music and uh, became a DJ and uh, just always wanted to bring people together through music. I mean, you know, something that, I mean, you know, throughout the ages has always been drums and music and, you know, uh, ceremonial stuff. And I just fell into this thing when, um, you know, the end of the Woodstock era, but the beginning of the disco era. And it was all about bringing people together. So the first thing, peace, love, unity, respect, it was, Obviously, there was people that were, you know, doing peace and love and all that before I did it. But in the rave scene and in um, this music, because like in DJing, you just play people's music and you make people dance. But we were trying to put the whole thing together to bring a culture together. And uh, the timing was really good. We had really good timing. And we began in 1990, in early 1990. And uh, going ever since, 25 years strong now, 26 years. So, you know, just take it, just, you know, ride it out, see where it goes. <laughs> so, you know, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the rave movement or plur, you, one of the things I do know about you is as a DJ, you are a fast moving guy and a fast moving target. And in fact, you're coming to us from the road betwixt and between gigs, I'm assuming. Yeah. All right. Now I'm in California, lovely Southern California. I'm in Huntington Beach. Uh, Huntington Beach is like my sanctuary. I've, uh, you know, always had a thing with California and um, being from the East Coast, it's, you know, vacation time pretty much between gigs, absolutely. But um, yeah, I'm flying back to New York tomorrow. And uh, yeah, it's it's been nonstop like this for 20 something years, 26 years, just going all over, you know, America, playing my music on the weekend, sometimes during the week. And, you know, uh, bringing people together with music and it's, it's it's been a real fun it's a lot of fun you know i mean it's uh something i don't know how to do anything else so it's got to be music <laughs> it's got to be yeah, music um, and i i, I love yeah. what you say about doing this you know for for 20 years when i i grew up in new york city i went to junior high and high school in manhattan and it was during the heyday of studio 54 and when i was a kid my best friend's parents would sneak us in the back door in the alley of Studio 54 so we could dance. We've danced our asses off. And it was very cathartic, so much fun, and an era that's really gone until the resurgence or the, the, the surgence of this rave movement. And that's what I would love for you to tell our listeners about, describe it, because it is a, a, a bit magical. Yeah, this is great because Studio 54 was the, you know, during the disco era, that was the club. But um, we... See, they had a strict door policy, and you had to dress the right way. Because disco was all about being, you know, dressed up nice. You go out, and it's like, you know, uh, people dancing all, all hours of the night. But our generation, we were young kids. We were teenagers. And, um, you know, we were from Brooklyn, so we were outcasts. We were like, you know, I mean, if you saw Saturday Night Fever or Welcome Back, Cod of the Show, when John Travolta just first came out, and, you know, we were we were outcasts, so we wouldn't be allowed in Studio 54, so we had to take it to the streets, and what we did was, um, in that day, Williamsburg, on the waterfront, there was abandoned warehouses, and we would just throw sound system and lights in the warehouse, 
and, you know, promote the party and people would come. And as long as all the music was playing, uh, everything was great. As, as long as the music didn't stop. If it stopped, then you'd be in a bandit warehouse where you weren't supposed to be. But, uh, yeah, we did this for two, three years before it got really popular. And then we couldn't do it anymore because it was just too many people were coming. And if you didn't do it legally, the police would shut you down. So, you know, the whole time when we started was, we had to promote it in peace and love. We wanted people to come and understand that you're coming into an abandoned warehouse. We're not supposed to be doing this there. So you have to come in and you have to look out for the person next to you and, you know, not cause any problems, fights, or drama. And um, it, sound, it sounds impossible. We actually did it for the first three years. We had no problem. People loved it. And we pretty much started this electronic dance music um, scene in America, like early on, 1990, 1991. And if you fast forward to the present time, we're going to go to a break in a minute, but I want to just cover this thought. If you, if you fast forward to what's happening today in the electronic dance music movement, is these raves still are happening. They're happening out in the desert. They're happening in remote places. They're sort of pop-up dance events. And I, I work with a very young clientele, and the kids – Today, these young adults are telling me how they go out by themselves to these parties because they want to be able to be fully immersed in the dance experience, that unless somebody comes from or has experience in the rave culture, they would feel awkward. And I, I, I want to talk about what goes on at these parties besides the obvious that breeds this sort of spirit that is so unique. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's really all about, you know, you're in a, you know, it, it's what you bring to it. That's where the love part of the whole plur thing is. You come, you know, uh, if you go by yourself, you come in peace. And then, you know, if you love everybody around you, then you find the unity and the respect. And that's where the whole thing came from, because a lot of people do travel to these events by themselves. And um, if you go by yourself, you won't be by yourself. When you get in the party <laughs> or the event, you meet people. And, you know, I mean, I've met my my fiance I met in 2002 in Chicago and um you know with all like-minded people and uh yeah it's been a beautiful experience but nowadays um these festivals have gotten to the point where there's hundreds of thousands of people like yeah. um Electric Daisy Carnival in Vegas for one I mean it's grown from where we come from in the race scene in the 90s and it's now a half a million people and it's uh the largest you know it's it's as big as Woodstock pretty much and it happens, you know, they happen a few times a year in different places. But um, in Vegas, it's in June. And uh, that's like the, the best festival to go to because it goes until the morning. When the sun rises, that's when the party stops. So that's, you know, to see the sunrise, it's like very spiritual and very, you know, it's, it's just a good thing. I mean, I love it. It's an uh, excellent for the mind, like, uh, you know, like uh, just clears you out, you know. <laughs> we are going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue to explore the coolness that is DJ Frankie Bones. You can find him on Twitter at DJ Frankie Bones. On Facebook, it's Frankie Bones 01. And we're talking peace, love, unity, and respect here on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio today. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.
Lisa Cypress Kamen, author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are carrying on our theme of coolness with DJ Frankie Bones, who is one of the, I dare say, grandfathers, he'll probably smack me for that, of the plural uh, movement, peace, love, unity, and respect. And I can say that lovingly to you, Frankie, because we're about the same age, which is a good thing, young and in the ripe, juicy middle. Well, I mean, I don't even have any kids, so I can't even be a father, to be honest with you. But, I mean, you know, this all... Uh... My uh, my actual father was murdered when I was 18 years old. He was the uh, cab driver, and he was shot in his uh, 16th hour of working that day on his second job in a robbery. And uh, up until the point where my father was murdered, I never knew anybody that died. So I was 18 years old, about to get out of high school. And when that happened, it was like my whole world was just, you know, taken away from me. And I never experienced that. So when we speak in terms of coolness and how it, where it comes from, I didn't have it right away. It was after 10 years of dealing with why my father was taken and, you know, when I learned. And, you know, I went through a lot of soul searching. But coolness is not something you can really define. It's like if you're cool, you can't say you're cool. You just have to be cool. So, you know, trying to define it, it's hard to define. But I, I know it comes from, you know, my gene, my gene cool because of my dad and stuff because he was the coolest person in the world to me. So. That's where that all comes from. Well, you know, and the story that you tell of losing your dad at, at, as a young adult, as a young man, is is a probably plays a, a role in your concept of wanting community connection. You know, you want it to be a good time for everybody. You want people to feel as though they can show up and belong. 
Oh, absolutely, 100%. And in fact, I mean, I use the word, word hellbent because, you know, my dad just, uh, he, he was taken just a few months before I graduated high school. And I actually did graduate high school. I, you know, I, I went to school and, um, you know, I wasn't planning on going to college. And then, you know, after that happened, it was like I, I had to make it in the music business because if I didn't, uh, it was a do or die situation. So, yeah, hellbent's the word. I would do anything. I'd bend over backwards to make people have fun and that's pretty much what I did so um yeah it, it, it's you know I mean looking back at it now it, I can't believe I got away with some of the things I've done but um yeah it was great times it still is great times and I wouldn't change the experience or change anything about my life at all I mean closing in on 50 years old I have no 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 regrets you know everything is great I have I had a great life so far hopefully I have a few more years left in me <laughs> Oh, at least fifty more, and and and, and, and I, I, I hope that you can you rock them the way you've rocked the first I'll be 50, happy you know? with forty. <laughs> forty more years, I'll be happy. My work will be done. <laughs> Let's talk about spinning and mixing at parties to how that has evolved into touring, because that's something that you do like a like a rock star. Yeah, yeah, rock star. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's changed only though. The technology has gotten to the point where, um, you know, these uh, DJs that are in, in the world today, we uh, come from playing records, you know? I mean, if, you know, you're, you know, in your 40s, your 50s, you know how your parents had record collections, uh, you know, they don't really have record collections and these new kids don't even know what records are. So I, I don't know if, like, in today's climate, it would be the same for me personally, because I mean, I was all about collecting vinyl and finding the records and going to the city and going to record stores. And I was a nerd. I mean, you had to be a nerd in the seventies and eighties to be a DJ. There was nothing cool about being a DJ back then. So now, you know, with the uh, way of just downloading files and stuff, it's become very easy. So anybody with a computer can be a DJ. And, um, you know, I mean, there's good, there's, good things about technology and there's bad things to me i think the technology happened so quick in the last 20 years that it it put everybody so far like like it could have been 100 years past in 20 years technology wise you know from what we were doing in the 90s and the 80s we were like you know beating on a drum and had like uh fred flintstone cars with uh stopping off foot you know feet with brakes and stuff for that <laughs> so stuff like that but nowadays it's just the computers are so powerful. These kids just come with a laptop and, you know, they're DJs now, which is fine. But, I mean, there's a lot of them. Um, how do you feel about the current state of electronic dance music? Because, as you mentioned, things have changed. And what's the parallel between what's happening now in the movement and the rave scene? How The yeah, evolution I, of the two in parallel or in tandem? I think that the music is um, um, the most amazing time ever for the music is now. I mean, when people from the old days are like, oh, the music's not like it used to be. Oh, there's some beautiful music being made. So many talented people. You'd never be able to find all the talent in the world today. There's so much of it. And that's a blessing, you know? I mean, you have to find what you like and discover, you know, artists on your own. It's not like back in the day, um, you, you know, you listen to the radio. Now there's just so much, there's so many outlets, so many websites, so many places doing this that you have to find your niche and um 
it's like tuning into a radio station. You find it, you know, you find a channel and you tune in. So you, the, the more you tune in, the more you're going to know. And yeah, it's very exciting times. I, I would just love for people to have that experience to travel the world and play your music. It's really just a great thing. I wouldn't want to be the king of a country. I just want to go there and play some music, leave and go to the next place. That's it. You know, and, and that really leads to the, the healing power of music. You know, you can show up if the music is good and and the beat sort of takes over your 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 heart and you start moving you can turn a bad day into a good one in a minute yeah it's like, you know if you have a headache you take aspirin or you just to me i just listen to music and everything's great <laughs> it saved my life it worked for me but um yeah and i just seen like like david bowie just passed away and oh my god i was so like for 2016 we lost an icon and i always wanted to define the difference between legendary and an icon and i i you know i i'm touching on it now people are like frankie you're a legend you're a legend i am tired of the legend thing i see like every there's a lot of legends out there so you know the icon thing is really kind of like with david bowie passing and then i was really sad because that was my father's favorite david bowie is one of my father's favorite artists so you know my father's been gone 31 years so to think about that and just look back and see how many people were like so inspired by that i just it did put it, it 2016 in a bad way. He passed away, but I could see how people were reading, you know, social media and thinking, wow, people are really into the music a lot these days more than I ever thought. Oh, big time. And you know, what's interesting is, you know, you talk about the passing of David Bowie and David Bowie being an icon and that being one of your dad's favorites. I mean, David Bowie, you know, he blended everything really that you're talking about, you know, in, in Plur, and then also sort of the visual art artistry aspect yeah, of things I, I, and the I drama. Thought, yeah, I thought like, you know, Gene Simmons didn't just wake up one day and put Kiss together, you know? Kiss had to come from like what David Bowie did with Ziggy Stardust. And I didn't really think about this until after he passed. I'm thinking the whole, you know, Kiss painting the face and becoming like the ultimate hard rock band. And that's definitely got to be, you know, David Bowie inspired. I would definitely think it had a lot to do with it. And uh, just seeing how many different ends of the music world, you know, he he is in. It's like he inspired a lot of people for many decades. And that's, you know, I don't think I'll ever be on that level. But with what I do with my music, I just, you know... I, I pretty much could go anywhere in the world with electronic music and not have to worry about how I do my thing because it works. It's kind of like a universal thing. It just works somehow. Not, well, it's not your art. I mean, right, it's, way, it's, but... it's how you express your creativity. Yeah, it's just been doing it so long. I think we were, you know, when we first discovered it, we discovered it like, okay, well, technology has changed, but the music, the way you make music with MIDI and the computers, you know, this has been going on since the early 80s. So, you know, it's almost the same application, just there's better programs now to do the application with. I have two teenagers. I have one in college and one nearing his, his high, the end of his high school career and will be in college soon. And the kids, they, they keep me in the know of what's going on in the music scene because I, I am a music lover. I am a world music lover, actually. But with what's going on in the dance world, these kids come home and they are playing for me you know, remakes or remixes of songs that I was dancing to in the in the late 70s in New York City. And they're like, Mom, Mom, listen to this song. And I'm like, and I know all the words, right? It's a different mi mix, but the words are the same. And they're right. blown away. You know, what, what about that? What goes around comes around. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that because 
when you tune into my SoundCloud in, in the next week, I just did uh, Barracuda by Heart. I've done it, done it, a dance mix of it, um, just to SoundCloud, and um, it's the most amazing thing in the world because it's like that's like what you said. You know the song, and it's the actual same song, but now it has you know what we have today and the music behind it, and it's. I think something like that is good because you could catch everybody. It's like if people that don't know electronic music hear heart, they like, you know, some heart's work, they're going to be like, wow, this is great. And the same thing for the kids that don't know who art is. So, yeah, it is. the remixing thing is awesome. I always love that. So that's the best part about being a DJ is that you're mixing other tunes together and creating new, you know, sounds out of, you know, other sounds and stuff. Well, thank you for sharing your coolness with us. I want to give our guests uh, some information where they can find you on Twitter at DJ Frankie Bones, on Facebook, Frankie Bones 01, and on SoundCloud. You've got tons of music up there. I think on YouTube, there's also tons of music up there. And I have a couple of parting thoughts before we go. And that is happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen and my coolest guest ever today, and that is Ilan Dar Nimrod and DJ Frankie Bones, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And Frankie, peace, love, unity, and respect. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.